Well, hello, language hackers. Welcome to another episode of the Language Hacking Podcast with me, Elizabeth Bruckner, and of course, Benny Lewis. In this episode, we speak with Karine Lemaire about how to learn a language in a way that suits you perfectly. Some of the things we discuss in the episode are techniques that can help type A learners and learners with ADHD like Benny and Karine. So let's get started. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 81. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hello, language learners. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Bruckner, and I'm here with my co-host, Benny Lewis, founder of the Fluent in Three Months blog. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Karine Lemaire of FrenchChatter.com. Welcome to the show, Karine. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Elizabeth, and thank you, Benny, also. Thank you. It's so great to have you here. So folks don't know this, but oh, you will now because I'm about to tell you, Karine was my very first French teacher. So just a little backstory. I found Fluent in Three Months while looking for the, a Rosetta Stone uh, review. I saw Benny with a hoodie on, giving stink face to Rosetta, and then I started reading his blog and he said, you've got to get a teacher, you've got to practice, you've got to practice. So I initially started with five minutes of Duolingo a day and Karine. And what I did was I went onto a website, I looked for, I just picked three random tutors and Karine was the nicest one, but she ended up being exceptional. So Karine, could you tell us a little bit about who you are and your language learning story? Yes, so I'm from Belgium. My mom is from Congo. My dad is a half Belgian, half Italian. So I grew up uh, multilingual. By the age of five, I was trilingual. I was talking, I was speaking French, Italian, and Swahili. And then we moved. So I was, we were living in Congo, in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And then we moved uh, to Belgium, where I started to learn Dutch, because in Belgium, we speak French, Dutch, and German. And then uh, I spent my whole life being constantly surrounded by different languages, uh, mostly French. And actually, I'm a great example of how uh, if you stop practicing a language, you lose it always. Because when I was little, um, I spoke Italian with my grandmother. When she passed away, we stopped talking in Italian. I lost my Italian. I started learning Italian again 20 years later and practicing on holiday with my family also. And then at the age of seven, I uh, fell in love with the UK. It was my first trip to London. And my love uh, story with the English language started back then and it never stopped. I used to be, before becoming a teacher, I was a journalist. Again, I was used to talking to lots of people speaking different languages. English was always the, the common language between us. And also I lived in Brussels where English is increasingly becoming uh, an official language because of the European institutions in Brussels. It's actually the lingua franca now in Brussels. There are some parts of Brussels where people speak only in English which is very strange. <laughs> I had a hard time with Dutch. I think that if you don't like a language, you have a very hard time learning it. And I've been very unlucky at the age of yeah, eight or nine to have a, a very bad uh, Dutch teacher. 
ever since that, Dutch has been a problem uh, for me. But when I started to become fluent in English, it, it became much easier for me to, to learn Dutch and to understand Dutch. For example, when I was living in Brussels, which is officially a bilingual city, French, Dutch, I, uh, it was very, very difficult for me to understand uh, people talking in Dutch around me or even things written in shops or on the street. Or, because Dutch is so close to English, it is the same route. Now I can guess words in Dutch thanks to English. And also I had another very extremely bad experience with Spanish. When I was little, I had a friend who was Spanish and her mom was extremely, extremely mean. And she was screaming, yelling at her in Spanish all the time. And because of that, I think that Spanish has always been very difficult for me to, to learn. However, English, it's, uh, I am a huge fan of David Bowie. I mean, I, I am a, a music fanatic and most bands come from the UK and the US. And because of that, um, English has always been easy to learn for, for me. Yes, so that was back in 2004 uh, when I was a student at university. Uh, I had the opportunity to take part in a program called Scola ULB. So ULB, it was a Université Libre de Bruxelles, so Brussels University. And I had the opportunity as a student in journalism to uh, teach any subject uh, in schools of deprived areas of Brussels. And I chose French because in Brussels, there is a, a, a very important migrant population of Moroccan people. And so I decided to teach French and I realized that I absolutely loved teaching, especially French, because I love French. I, I am a massive fan of, of French literature. I'm reading La Peste again at the moment. <laughs> and then after that, I don't know, probably you know that journalism um, is no longer what it used to be. Journalists have mostly become activists now. So I wanted to quit journalism, but at the same time, I wanted to, to, to go deeper into my love of teaching. So after that, I moved to London, to the UK, where I started to teach. I just put an ad on Gumtree, which is a, a website, an advertising website, uh, for one-on-one -on -one lessons in French. And I had lots and lots and lots of clients there. I started to do more. I started to do French clubs for children also. Uh, I was working with uh, around 15, 17 schools in London. I did that for almost uh, yeah, eight years. And then back in 2014, 15, I think, I completed a qualification to teach English as a foreign language. And then uh, I started to teach uh, online in 2015 well, on the website where I met you, Elizabeth. And ever since that, uh, then I, I have tried to develop uh, my methods because I'm very focused on the students, individually on the students. So my method is never the same. What works, because I have realized that what works for one person doesn't work for another. So I prefer to keep, I have had opportunities to teach in the classroom, but I prefer to teach one-on-one -on -one because I believe in the classroom, uh, especially in large groups uh, of over eight people, it's, uh, it's very difficult to, for, for each student to get the most of the teaching. Yeah, we went to a... It was the last class my husband ever went to with me. And it was like a, a full immersion class in San Francisco. And there was a woman that sat next to us and she's like, oh, it, we were in a beginner, beginner class and you're not supposed to speak anything but French. And she was like, oh, I've been studying for five years, but I'm shy. 
And my husband was like, why are you here? So what happened in that class is he spoke to her for four hours with headaches. Like that was the end of my husband's language learning journey, because if that's what language learning is, he didn't want any a part of it. And I could completely understand that. So let's talk about, I'm so excited to be able to get inside your brain because I think that your journalism background makes you, or maybe you are a curious person and that's why you were a journalist or your journalism background has helped create more curiosity or an ability to find out more things about people without a feeling like you're encroaching upon their privacy. And this idea of unique language coaching, unique teaching of the language. This is something that I felt really, it showed a great deal with you because when I came to you, I had, I was a blank slate. I had no idea how to learn a language and you started with images and you could see that I really liked doing images. There was something that I started finding that I was doing and you were helping me with it, which was you kind of became my counselor. Every three weeks, I would have a language learning emergency. I wrote an article about this and it would be, Karine, I'm not learning fast enough. And I would, we only spoke in French, even from day one. I knew 20 words and you were able to have lessons with me only in French. But every three weeks, I would have a, a breakdown, a language learning emergency. And I would tell you, I'm not doing it right. This isn't correct. And you would go, keep coming back, continue to do the next right thing. And then I would ask you, I think the part that helped you, I'm guessing as a student, so I'm help, telling other students to listen to this. The part that helped help my teacher was saying, I'm having trouble with understanding what people are saying. I can't understand anything. And then you would say, okay, here's what you need to do. Do X, Y, Z. And then I'd be really happy for a week or so. And then the language learning emergency would come back and I'd say, I'm having trouble with speaking. It takes me five hours to make a sentence. It looks like someone has stuck me in the tush with a horse tranquilizer. Can you please help me? And then you would go, okay, this is what you need. And so for those listening, the first thing that she said was, listen to 300 hours of TV. And I like that. And we're going to get back to that because that was perfect for a type A person like me because I took a little notebook. You remember my notebook, right? I'm like, this is what I'm doing. I'm at 200 hours, but it gave me something to work toward so that I wasn't having a language emergency every single class. When a student comes to you and they have a language learning emergency, I'm assuming I'm not the only one. How do you help them? And what do you think is causing that language learning emergency? People want to get to, to the end of the race straight away, but they don't realize that in language learning, uh, the race is, uh, it's not really a race, it's a journey that is never ending. So you need to go slow and steady and to be aware that there will be hurdles, but you just need to find ways to overcome those hurdles and you need to try different methods. Uh, some I've seen some students working with grammar books for years and years and years and not progressing. And then I tell them, well, maybe that's not the right method for you. Maybe you need to try something else. Maybe you need to simply read a book without understanding the grammar itself. Because some people are confused, especially English speaking uh, students, since I think it's the same in the US, but in the UK, they don't to learn the grammar, like uh, the pronouns, uh, adjectives, uh, and stuff like that. And so when you try to explain that, it is very difficult. But if you read a book or even a, a news article and you explain, so this is, an, so for example, kind, it is an adjective. Tall is an adjective also and, and things like that. Then people slowly start to understand. But if they try to understand the, the pure grammar first, for some people, it's difficult. And again, like I said, it really depends on the people. What I recommend for one student is, is not what I would recommend for another student. 
student, for example. For example, pictures, you mentioned my, my method working with pictures. With some students, it doesn't work at all. And I can, I realized that really, really early in our, in our learning that uh, I have to change my method. And after a couple of lessons, I do something else. You've talked about how you need to discover this method with a student. How would a student know what the best approach would be for them? And how did you discover with Elizabeth that it's it's pictures? How would you discover with somebody else that it's something else? By their level of interest and the way they progress. So if, if they are not progressing, I assume that the method is not the right one for them. Or sometimes I, so that's another thing that I do with my, my students. I ask them, so the first session, I ask them lots of questions about who they are, what they do. Uh, so if someone tells me, uh, I never read even in my own language, I'm not going to ask them to read in French. If they tell me I'm into a series, I watch Netflix constantly, I will recommend them to watch series in French. So I always uh, advise them to do something in French that they already love doing in their own language. Yeah, and also always, I always remind them that, um, like, for example, you, Elizabeth, when I recommended you to, to watch at least 300 hours of television or films or whatever, I told you, be aware that the first six months, you will not understand a lot. You will understand maybe 10%, but then after three months, you will understand 20%. And then after six months, seven months, 50%, until one day, you realize that not only you understand 90%, but you don't even need the subtitles anymore. To progress, patience is key. So I think that the main reason why some people either give up or think that the, the task, uh, the whole thing is too daunting is impatience. They want to be to to go straight away from a beginner to to C two level in in a week, and that's not possible. No, it's not possible. I mean, look at me. I, I I've been learning English since I was seven. I'm thirty nine now. I I still make lots of mistakes in English, but I understand that if I put much, if I sat down every day for two hours and I work, I worked much more. I would still be able now to improve my English. And it's a, it's a good reminder, this idea of you aren't going to know what people are saying. Like, just expect frustration. If you can work through frustration, if you can work through impatience, Benny says he gets used to sounding like an idiot and his goal is to suck a little less each day. I have to be reminded of that. So when you told me, go and watch this, what I do is I watch um, Netflix. There's a great TV show, a series called Heartland. It's kind of like Little House on the Prairie, very low keel. Um, there's, I think it's in seven languages on the first six series on Netflix. So for those of you that are interested, Heartland is a good one to start. And so I watched Heartland initially and I watched it with French subtitles so that because I didn't, I, I thought I was cheating, right? We're going to talk about that type A in a bit. And, but the French subtitles kind of gave me a gist. And the first episode, I only understood when someone walked in the room and they all said hello. And when someone left the room and they all said goodbye. And that was enough. Like I trusted. And I think that's another thing. You have to find tutors that you trust. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, yes. Compatibility between student and teacher is very, very important. Right. If you don't feel like you can trust each other or if you don't feel uplifted by the end, like if I felt like you were troubled or annoyed by the time that we were spent together, it wouldn't make me want to learn the language again. So 
since then, I mean, Benny, you've had like hundreds of different teachers. I've had, I think I'm close to 70 different teachers now. I know what a good teacher is for me. And it's one that makes me want to just, I have like a little spring in my step afterwards. This question is for both of you because I don't think that either of you deal with this, but maybe, maybe you do. I know that you do as a teacher, Karine. I was recently told about five years ago that I'm type A and I was like, no, I'm not. I'm like hippie chick yoga. I'm super mellow, yellow. And I told my husband and he's like, oh, yes, you are. Because <laughs> I check things off. I get tasks done. It's wonderful. I get stuff done. It's not good in that when you're on a journey, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. There's going to be a lot of things that are unchecked. It's impossible to check every single box in language learning. So my question to you, Karine, is how often do you get type A students? What do you find the biggest um, pitfalls are? And then Benny, I'd like to talk to you about what is it like to not be a type A person? Can you tell me what it's like to learn a language when you're not type A, when you're type imaginative, type I? So Karine, what do you do with, with folks like me? Actually, I just have, I, now, I, have, I have now at the moment who is very, very type A. I just ask him questions. So what do you want to do? What do you enjoy doing? I ask him to be very honest with me. For example, if I ask him for a homework to watch a video on YouTube, I ask him, is it too hard, too easy, just on your level? And if it is too easy, I go one level up. And um, it, it, it really depends on the, on the goal of the person. It's, it's not a one-size-fits-all situation. I think it's, uh, it really depends on, on so many factors, not just... Uh, uh, it depends also, um, you don't have kids, you, you have lots of time to, to study, but my student that I have now, he has a four year old, he's married, he's busy at work. So all of this, it is, uh, some type of little frustrations that in his mind prevent him from achieving his goal in French. And so I need to remind him, don't worry, it's, uh, take it slow and steady, but keep working every day whenever you can. I do like the idea that, uh, if anyone listening is type A, that you can get lots of inspiration online from a lot of other language learners. And I've seen several videos quite recently of um, a polyglot sharing what their typical daily routine is. And I look at those videos and I just think there's no way in a million years that I could do this because they have these beautiful daily planners that are multicolored. You know, they track how many words that they're learning and how many hours they're putting into the language. And that's great if that is the, the kind of personality you have and that's something that appeals to you. I'd highly recommend you look into those things. But what's uh, interesting for me personally is a lot of people ask me, Benny, what's your daily routine in learning languages? And to me, that, that question is completely moot. It is impossible for me to have a daily routine. I have long accepted that chaos is the theme of my life. I do not have routines. I, I have ADHD, so I have to I have to find moments where, you know, there's a burst of, of motivation. I'm going to run with that. I'm going to study. I'm going to practice the language. And then the burst goes away, and I just have to be at peace with that, that sometimes I'm going to be wasting time for a few hours. And I think when people imagine a polyglot like myself, they imagine the polyglots who demonstrate how incredibly efficient they are. And I'd really like people who are listening who maybe not do not identify with that, that it's okay if maybe a few hours in your day, you, you kind of wasted them away. This happens to me all the time. So Karin, how do you work around your ADHD and your attention issues with when it comes to trying to 
uh, move forward with a language when efficiency isn't always ideally going to happen the way you want it to? If uh, working with books uh, is no longer working because of my concentration issues, I just listen to music or I just watch a film or I just listen to a film while doing the washing up. But I keep working regardless, because even if you you are doing a washing up and listening to something without really listening, it enters your mind, your mind, your, your brain records everything. But that's also the good thing about being a one-on-one teacher is that every hour I have to keep uh, intensely focusing on a different student and with always a different topic. For example, if I had to work for four hours in a row with the same student, after two hours, I would have um, to become challenging for me. But my boyfriend, for example, is, um, is a type A student and he told me a story about him. So he, he's British and he speaks uh, Portuguese and French. And he found himself in the middle of the jungle in Brazil with no uh, internet connection. And it was the time he was supposed to do Duolingo. He went nuts. He, <laughs> he, he was trying to find some, um, <laughs> some signal anywhere he could and it ruined his day really and I since we've been together I told him it doesn't matter if 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 he didn't work that day you can catch up later on I mean yeah like I said it's a never-ending journey those streaks can be deadly I think I got up to 437 in Duolingo and then I was like I need to not have angst about my language learning and I just let it go and you know now I have this bragging right that I got up to 437 days but what is that right it's that I do get gamified um, apps because having that little owl go every time you make something win is good when you're first starting, but you have to make sure that it doesn't take away from the joy of language learning. And so I do want to say as a recovering type A person that I think just hanging around with you and hanging around with Benny has helped me realize like now when people ask me, I'm doing a lot of like I do what I call low hanging fruit. So if I'm really busy it's TV at the end of the day. And I just don't watch it in English. I watch it in, or I read one page of Harry Potter at the end of the day, or I listen while watching, washing up. And I won't, I'll be, people are like, how do you get it? I'm like, I go in and out. I might get a sentence and then I might daydream. And then I might get another sentence and then I might break a dish because I tend to break dishes when I'm washing. And so it's this, this ebb and flow. And I think that for type A specifically, we have such a fear of missing out. We have such a fear of losing that because that was my language learning emergencies was, oh my gosh, I'm not, you know, I've, I've failed 10 times at learning a language. Benny's blog seemed really nice, but he's probably smarter and he's not telling me all his little secrets, but he was. And it, the secret was speak, practice. Don't worry about the grammar too much initially. Do what you love. Benny, you don't do a lot of reading, right? But I love to read. So when I discovered Link, it was like nonstop. So yes, for those type A's, there's hope. We might not be quite as loosey-goosey as Benny and Karine or creative in terms of our, our routine and letting things go. But in a couple of months with a little bit of success, you will gain confidence. My Spanish journey is much different than my French journey. People are like, oh, what are you doing? Well, I, I want to speak. Are you going to take a test? No, I'm never going to take a test again. And my writing's horrible, but I don't care because if you plop me down in a Spanish-speaking country, I will be able to get by. Which brings me to my next question. You actually plopped yourself down in the United Kingdom and then you started working in English as a journalist. You've written at least one book under a pen name, but maybe more. And then you also said that, I remember us talking about this as I became an intermediate, 
you said that you created a writer's community. I think it was an online writer's community where you would write post things and you started making friends in English only about things that you love. Can you tell me about that process and how did you get the confidence to say, I, first of all, I am a writer is scary, right? And then secondly, I am a writer in my target language. Well, um, I had experience writing in English before because since I studied journalism at university, we had to write in English a lot. There is a, a huge difference between being marked by a professor and being judged by some readers in their mother tongue in English. I just go with the flow and uh, I know that is going to be difficult. I know I'm going to make mistakes. For example, the first book that I wrote, uh, my copy editor, Sally, in Liverpool, she sent it to me, she sent me the, the correction. It was full of mistakes, but I was absolutely frightened. I thought, my goodness, I can't write in English. But the more I wrote, the better it got, the better I got at it. So um, I think it's the same for everything you do. The more you do it, the better you, you will be at it. So um, at the beginning, so when I moved to London, I remember, so I was working uh, at the Barbican Centre, which is a, a, a big uh, cultural centre in London. Uh, so my colleagues were mostly British people. And so I made friends. And I remember, so I was still on Facebook at the time. Uh, they were sending me messages uh, in English and I was shaking. I was like, my goodness, how am I going to reply to this without making any mistakes? I had to read my, my short messages a uh, hundred times. And so I sent them and thinking it was fine. But when I read those messages, for example, five years later, they were it was full of mistakes. But actually, thanks to my mistakes, I learned so much because when they replied to me, they corrected my mistake, not without telling me, um, if I said, for example, uh, I did a mistake, they would say to me, no, you didn't make a mistake. So I would learn that it's not do a mistake, it's to make a mistake. So it's very important to speak with um, with natives because they will correct your mistakes without even realizing it. For example, once I said to my flatmate who was a, a medical doctor, I said there is a, a lack of doctors in the UK. And she said, yeah, yeah, there is definitely a shortage of doctors in the UK. So that is how you learn by making mistakes. Making mistakes is very important. And it's the same in writing. But the more you practice, the, the better it will get. And as you've uh, been teaching French yourself, what uh, interesting aspects come across when you get into the differences between Belgian French and uh, the kind of standard Parisian French people tend to learn? Yes. Um, <laughs> I would say that the numbers, but the numbers are in French from France really, I mean, the 60, 10 and four times 20, four times 20, 10, that is absolutely ridiculous. But I always ask my students if they want to learn um uh, only French from France because I, when, when someone takes lessons with me, I assume they want to learn French from France. So I say the numbers the way the French say them. But, uh, I ask them, I, I tell them how, however, in Belgium, in Canada and in Switzerland, we say it differently. And sometimes I learn things about other words uh, that they say, for, especially in Canada, where they have so much more vocabulary than in French from Belgium or France. I don't know, but I think that when you learn a foreign language, it means that you are at least a little bit curious about different cultures. So I always tell people the way things are, are said in French from France, but I always mention the way it is said in Canada, in Belgium, and in Switzerland. 
But there are no uh, major differences between French from Belgium and French from France. You started a podcast on FrenchChatter.com, which I love. Um, you asked me to be uh, one of the guests on the podcast, which was terrifying and wonderful. It was my first and at this point only podcast where I was interviewed completely in French. And you've done this with num. So I'm talking about this, number one, because I'd like our listeners, especially our French learners to know that there's some great audio on frenchchatter.com in the podcast page. If you go there and check it out, you can just listen. You know, if you're washing up or you're making your commute, this is a good podcast for you to listen to, especially because there are students like me who use very simple sentences because that's the easiest way for me to convey my message. So beginners, it's great to listen to intermediate speakers because it's easier. What inspired you to start this podcast and how do you how do you come up with themes? How do you are students as nervous as I was about interviewing? And how do you help them through that? To me, it's those those podcasts are not very different from my conversational classes with my students, uh, except that I don't type because during the lessons I, I I take lots of notes, I type a lot, I correct lots all the mistakes. But here I just let the conversation flow. Just my curiosity about people in general and the world, and because I, uh, in a, in the day of working, we can talk about uh, climate change. About uh, last week, we talked about um, reproduction of frogs, how frogs reproduce. So in French, so really all sorts of topics, and because I have that thirst of uh, for knowledge for everything. That comes probably from my journalistic background. Uh, I love listening to people talking about all sorts of things, whether the last book they read or the last TV series they watched or uh, American politics, even even if it's not fun at the moment. Or <laughs> and, and I love what I love seeing also in people is um, how they start the conversation being really, really nervous. And then by the end, being totally relaxed because they have had the, the opportunity to talk about something they enjoy talking about. So that is why also I put a lot of focus and emphasis on uh, the student's interest. Because if someone is not interested, uh, I don't know, in music, I'm not going to, to tell me about uh, um, the latest album by the, the most famous pop singer, but... Um, so the, the reason why I, I chose to do that podcast is to make people feel comfortable uh, with talking and for them to inspire others who are terrified of talking, especially publicly, in their target language. And also to, 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 to make them understand that it's not because you make mistakes that others are not going to understand you. And I, I love talking to people in general. So as you know, this is the Language Hacking Podcast. And given the variation of the teaching methods that you have with your students, I'm curious to hear what would your definition of language hacking be? You constantly need to challenge yourself and not being scared. If something is not working, try something else. If it's not working, try again something else. Until Never stop until you find something that works for you. And, and actually, Benny, I've had um, Elizabeth recommend it to me to lots of um, your clients. And I can tell that you, your method is absolutely excellent because I can tell that the, the people who work with Fluent in three months are fearless. They tell me, I know that I'm going to make mistakes, but I need to speak because I want to be Fluent in three months. 
your method is one of the best actually because if it doesn't work do it anyway so that would be my my definition of hacking a language do it anyway and try different methods such a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so much for letting us pop inside the mind of a multilingual language tutor that and coach that helps others join and are able to have languages in their lives. I mean, without, I know I say this a lot, but without you, I would not be, you're such a big part of my language learning journey. I would not be able to speak French. So I thank you with immense gratitude. Thank you for having me. And also, I want to, to say that um, I think that the people who work with you, Elizabeth, as a coach are very, very lucky because you have understood the mechanisms of learning any language, I think, uh, thanks to your hard work, uh, your hard work, thanks to your diligence and also your curiosity. And um, that's very, very important. So lucky you people who work with Elizabeth at Free and Freemans. <laughs> Thank you very much, Karin. And uh, we'll make sure people can find more about you in the show notes and that they can check out uh, French Chatter for themselves. Thank you for having me. So until the next time, I wish everybody listening a very happy language learning. Happy language learning. And that's a wrap. What a fascinating interview with Karine. At the end of the podcast, we like to discuss a few takeaways we've gathered. Benny, what was your highlight during this interview? Uh, one thing that she said that has come up a lot um, in a lot of these kinds of discussions that really bears repeating is that the method that you take really needs to uh, revolve around the things that you love to do. And I think a lot of us have experience when we first get into learning a language, whether that's in school or our initial attempts as an adult, that we're doing things that we would not generally do in our mother tongue or things that we don't care about doing. And like, like you said, I don't necessarily read very early on in my language learning um, because I don't read very consistently in my life in English anyway. So if I try to force reading into my routine, it would work against me. Whereas if I do things that I'm already passionate about and bring them into language learning, that changes everything. So uh, she really emphasized that that's a big part of the method is finding out what the student actually loves to do and incorporating that into uh, the target language. What about for yourself? Gosh, there are so many things I loved about this interview with Karine. I think the most important was one was when she complimented me, which is always very, very nice. <laughs> In all seriousness, I think the aha moment for me during this interview was when she discussed how fearless language learners are. As a coach for the Fluent in Three Month Challenge, I am in admiration of those that come to the challenge feel beat up and discouraged at the beginning, overwhelmed or ex even excited, but then midway through, they're like, we'll never get to it. And then by the end of the challenge, they are having a 15 minute conversation. That always impresses me. And it reminds me of how much courage it must have taken for my grandfather and grandmother to immigrate here, not knowing one single word in English and then working their way through the English language while trying to raise four babies. It's remarkably um, admirable. And 
It also reminds me with my grandfather's very thick accent. He had such a thick accent that my friends would often hear him talking to me in English and they would think that he was speaking to me in Russian. And he never got rid of that accent and he was fearless. He was a, a huge part of the community um, and had incredible relationships. And it takes that courage to just continue to connect with others, continue to try to use your language. So I hope all our listeners have enjoyed this podcast. If you did, you can let us know by leaving a review and telling us what's working for you at languagehacking.com forward slash review. We love hearing from you and your reviews tell the podcast fairies to offer our show to more listeners. So thanks so much and see you next time. Until then, happy language learning. Happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast Addict, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis, Shannon Kennedy, and Elizabeth Bruckner, and produced by Katie Pascoe, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. Theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and happy language learning.